Hey guys, it's Katie. It's Sam. It's Annika. And it's Miranda. And so today we are going to dive into the case of Alec Murdoch. Um, I'm sure y'all are kind of familiar with that name. It definitely has been blowing up my phone and it has been all over the news. Um, basically, it's just going to run through one of the most wild cases I've ever heard. It's going to go from embezzlement to tax evasion all the way up until murder. Um, it's just going to be a pretty wild ride. So uh, hang on with us. Um, and also just a quick disclaimer, we're going to use Alex and Alec interchangeably. Just uh, comes down to kind of the dialect used in South Carolina. But same guy, don't worry. Um, but anywho, it's going to be a crazy ride. So hang on. Okay, so the 911 call y'all heard at the beginning of the show, it was the voice of a South Carolina state partner attorney named Alec Murdoch. The call was placed on June 7, 2021, so just two years ago. Alex Murdoch's wife, Maddie, who was 55, and his youngest son, Paul, 22, were found shot dead in the family home. Alec Murdoch, once a family member of the dominated family member of the family that dominated the legal landscape in the southern part of the state for over 100 years, now faces trial on two counts of murder. Prosecutors have accused him of killing his wife and son in a failed attempt to conceal his own financial crimes. Yeah, so from the outside, the Murdoch seemed like the perfect family. The father, Alex, was a well-known South Carolina attorney who came from a long line of successful attorneys and judges. The family is often described as wealthy, influential, privileged, and even feared. The family had their hands in nearly every corner of the county, and they seemed untouchable. But the past six years were filled with scandal after scandal, including his son's triple felony conviction for boating under the influence. And ultimately, the family's powerful bloodline came crashing down. So to start off, I don't really think this story can be told without explaining the culture of this town and the power the Murdoch's had over the law there. Hampton is a small town in South Carolina with a population of around 3,000 people. One of those towns where everyone kind of knows everyone, which can be a good thing. But in this case, it meant that it was difficult to create a reputation for yourself. One thing happens in a town and everyone knows it by the end of the week. The Murdoch's have been in the Hamptons for over 100 years, so the history runs deep. And when we say they've been there for 100 years, we really should say they essentially own the legal system there for over 100 years. In fact, I read a quote that said that the people in the county literally called it Murdoch County sometimes. A little background about South Carolina's judicial system. So the state is divided into 16 judicial circuits, um, and each circuit's going to have a couple counties within it. Um, each circuit's also going to pick and pick and elect a solicitor um, who is the chief prosecuting attorney for the entire district. However, luckily for the Murdoch, they've been going down, down the family tree when it comes to appointing a solicitor. Seriously, the title is like a fam family heirloom at this point. Alex's great-grandfather became the first solicitor during the first ever solicitor election in 1920. You literally can't make this up. Yeah, and meanwhile, just downtown, the Murdoch family also owned a powerful law defense firm. It is so well known that they don't even have a single sign outside the building. Everyone just knows where it is. It's just the biggest one in town. And well, like I said, everyone knows where it is. Wait, the Murdoch's prosecuted and defended. How is that even possible? Is that legal? I don't know, man. But exactly. A family member was the solicitor who's picking out what cases are tried. And then they also conveniently have the biggest law defense firm in the area. So you can imagine it was really easy to persuade people to do what they wanted. Also, a fair jury? Forget about it. If you were smart, you knew which side to support because you just might be a defendant one day, hoping that your case doesn't get tried. 
Okay, so now with all this background information that we just described to you guys, we're going to zoom in on the main bad guy of our story, Alec Murdoch. Alec fo focuses on personal injury law in his daily life. With all of the family's name power, Alec is able to manipulate the legal situations in his favor most of the time. He wins massive amounts of money for his clients, and then that's where the fraud starts to begin. Alec began teaming up with his friend Russell Lafette, who worked at a bank nearby him. They'd work together to steal some money awarded to his clients, and then they would use the money for whatever they wanted. One of the worst parts about this is the fact that people who need a personal injury lawyer are within some of the worst moments of their lives. They've gone through car crashes, they've just gone through an absolute terrible few months. They're vulnerable and they turn to Alec for help. People say that during these times he was incredibly convincing um, and he was just great at winning people over. He promised them that he was in their corner, he was on their team. To make matters worse, Alec strategically picked clients who were minorities with little education. That's just crazy to me because when I watched the documentary, he did not seem comforting and safe to me at all. So I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was just because his name was so well known. People were like, that guy knows what he's doing. I thought he was good. Mm -hmm. He was a bad man. Also, whenever his clients would ask about the money, he would tell them that it was paying off their medical bills, private investigator fees, et cetera, et cetera. This went on for years. He's admitted to stealing millions from his clients and even his own firm. So another major reason why the story made headlines is everything crowding around it as well. So he had a death surrounding the Murdoch family. The Murdoch family's personal nanny and housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, tragically falls down the steps of the family's estate. Alex shockingly claimed responsibility in the fact that she allegedly tripped over the family's dog. This was not even investigated about. He even encourages Gloria's family to hire a lawyer to cover recover damages Alec personally recommends his friend, Corey Fleming, which is kind of suspicious to me. Yeah, it's ridiculous that he is involved in this crime. It's his house where it happens. And he's the one who helps them pick out the lawyer who's conveniently his buddy. Seems fishy. That's corruption if I ever heard it. And the cops just believe them that that happened. They don't even check into it. So Crazy, crazy. Corey, under Alec's directions, got the insurance company to agree to pay around $3.5 million to cover these medical bills and emotional distress. Also, remember that fraud we discussed a moment ago? Yeah. Well, this theft wasn't limited to strangers. Alec and Corey schemed to not tell Gloria's family about the payout. Alec found another friend to step up as a representative for Gloria's estate. So when the insurance payout was received, it went to Alec and his friend, leaving Gloria's two sons completely in the dark and without any money from the accident. He covered it up by sending the settlement dollars to a fake account with a similar name. So not only did Gloria die on the family's property, and he handpicked a lawyer to help represent the family. He then takes all of the money from the sons, and so much so that one of the sons is even left homeless. Damn, that's rough. That's so rough. This fraud went on for years and years. It is estimated he stole almost $7 million since 2007 from his clients. You know what you don't do with stolen money? Hmm. Pay taxes. <laughs> So in addition to the charges he faces ranging from murder to embezzlement, he also faces tax evasion. According to the Attorney General of South Carolina, he did not report income of up to $6,954,639. This failure to report this income means that he did not pay up to $486,819 worth of taxes. The crime of willful tax evasion could get Alec up to five years in prison and possibly an extra $10,000 fine. He also has 98 other financial crimes pending against him, each of which could land him an additional five years. So Alec would realistically die in prison just off of his financial crimes, and that's without the double homicide charge. 
Just to reiterate for you guys, his crimes totaled 32 counts of embezzlement, 21 counts of computer crime, 14 counts of money laundering, 11 counts of obtaining signatures or property by false pretenses, nine counts of tax evasion, seven counts of conspiracy, three counts of false statements or misrepresentation, and two counts of forgery. Can you believe that? That is actually a mouthful. So in case y'all didn't catch it, back to his tax crimes real quick. Alec Murdoch was indicted on nine counts of tax evasion. And that's adding on top of the slew of charges he faces in the aftermath of all these deaths. And he's already 54. True. Well, obviously, Alex Murdoch wasn't present in Dr. Inger's income tax class because he would have known that he could get in major trouble with the IRS. Mm -hmm. Few taxpayers actually go to jail for tax evasion. Tax evasion often entails the deliberate misrepresentation of the taxpayers affairs to the IRS to reduce the person's tax liability and allow them to increase their after-tax wealth. It includes dishonest tax reporting, declaring less income. That's a mouthful, guys. No wonder we're all laughing over here. If he misfiled his taxes, the statute of limitations could apply for his situation, which gives him three years after he filed to reconcile his taxes. However, this situation is just—it's just crazy. <laughs> However, the statute of limitations does not apply for failure, failure to file a fraud, both of which Alex committed, so he's out of luck. In regards to his money laundering, it results in a decrease in tax revenue and makes collection of his taxes by the state even more difficult. Prosecutors said Murdoch made nearly fourteen million as a lawyer over nine years, but also stole nearly seven million from his law firm at the same time. That's a hard number to miss by the IRS. This is obviously something the IRS would bust him for. And if he had proper classes at Auburn University, perhaps he would realize his mistakes sooner and then that he would not get away with them. Prosecutors also stated that he dodged nearly up to 487000 in state income taxes. He faces up to five years in prison on each count if convicted. Again, finding ways to mess with the system. How did this all come out? The beginning of the end came with a boating accident that killed a young girl, Mallory Beach. Paul, Alex's son, was driving a boat with five other friends. He was incredibly drunk and crashed the boat, killing Mallory. This court case brought a ton of attention to the family, especially when Paul wasn't immediately thrown in prison. This spotlight understandably made Alex sweat, since it could alert people to his fraud. Believe it or not, there is yet another death in the story. This time, it's a lot closer to Alec. In summer of 2021, Paul, Alex's son, and Maggie, Alex's wife, are gunned down on the Murdoch's massive hunting property. The homicides were described as gruesome and horrific. One was with a shotgun and one was with an AR-style rifle. This story took the scrutiny from a state level to a national one. It was all over the news. Good Morning America, NBC, you name it. The unexpected murder captivated the country. And I mean captivated. You could not get away from it. Netflix wouldn't even wait a week till the trial ended to start a um, documentary. As a result of this national scrutiny, yet another death comes to light to be reexamined. Six years before the double homicide, a 19-year-old, Stephen Smith, was found dead lying in the road. At the time, it was concluded to be an unsolved hit and run. Now, six years later, the case was looked at again. With the increased scrutiny of Hampton's legal corruption, now it seems a crime scene could have been staged. The rumors around the town say Buster, Alex's eldest son, could have been part of a group that beat Stephen to death. Needless to say, this case has been a complete roller coaster that has just continued to escalate. From corruption to fraud to tax evasion to murder, the Murdoch reputation is certainly at its end. Finally, on January 23, 2023, Alex's murder trial began. During the trial, the court was made aware that Maggie, his wife, had set up a few meetings with a divorce attorney. 
She expressed concerns about the family's financial situation because she was completely kept in the dark about the source of the family's income. I wonder why that was. One thing to note about meeting with a divorce attorney is that one major aspect that they look into is the family's finances to determine who's going to get what, what the alimony is going to be, all that jazz. This could be one of the reasons that Alex's financial crimes and tax evasion came to light and why he was worried so much about a possible divorce. So on March 2nd of this year, after only being oh, after only deliberating for three hours, the jury came back and found Alex guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison, according to the financial prosecutors. They, quote, still plan to aggressively pursue his white collar crime charges. So in the terms of our class tax class, let's debunk this. So when filing, a filing is determined by a taxpayer's filing status, income, and age. In the case of Alex Murdoch, he is 54 and was, emphasis on was married. R.I.P. R.I.P. Maggie. His and, mar- Paul. and Paul, but he wasn't married to Paul. That'd be weird. His marginal tax rate would have been 37% of the millions he didn't report. In terms of his filing status, he's married filing jointly, jointly, which means he has a liability for his wife's taxes, who has now passed. In terms of dependents, before this all went down, Alex had no qualifying children because they were all above 19 and neither were in school full-time, so neither were qualified children. Now, in regards to the mean qualifying relatives, Paul passes the relationship test and the support test. Additionally, Alec was definitely supporting over half of Paul's income and expenses. But Buster wouldn't qualify because he lives with his girlfriend at the time, um, and therefore he would not pass the support test. In terms of tax planning for Alex Myrtle, instead of committing fraud and in murder, he could have increased his after-tax wealth by using any combination of the three main tax planning strategies. The first is being shifting. In terms of shifting, he could have hired his hired his sons while they were growing up to work under him at the law firm. They would have had lower marginal tax rates and thus preserved after-tax income. Another method would be timing. He could have slid back his income into a later year by charging his law client clients the following year. Lastly, he could have diversified his income, which would be a conversion strategy. He could have moved some of the money into stocks, bonds, that kind of thing. So we had all of these options to increase his after-tax income, but instead he decided embezzlement, fraud, and murder. What a way to end the year. The trifecta. <laughs> so thanks for listening along with us. And I hope you guys learned about the Alex Murdahl trial and his tax evasion. We'll see you next time. Bye.